You are listening to the Mom and Dad Podcast. A podcast about balance, growth, and navigating through your 20s and 30s. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome back. It is another Friday, another episode of the Mom and Dad Podcast. All right, so we're really excited about this one. Um, Robert is a good friend of mine, actually been friends since we were very, very young. Uh, we played soccer together. His father was actually my mentor, who you, you'll hear me mention in other other episodes. Um, but something, that, so basically seven years ago, we went on an incredible journey um, around the nation in my 97 Toyota Camry to answer one question, and that was, does America still believe in the American dream? And this was sparked by a thesis that Robert did on his, you know, his, his final college paper on the paradox of freedom and bondage. Anyway, we'll get into it in the episode, but um, Robert is an incredibly inspiring person that I can't meet with without feeling an increase in my level of optimism and my desire to a- achieve something great with my life. Um, and it's, it's not something that's pompous or arrogant that comes off. It's just, it's a genuine curiosity and enthusiasm that he has for life and I'm really excited for everyone to hear this story and and to get to know him a little bit. So just a quick bio on him just to to give you a quick introduction. So uh, again we've known each other since we were very young. He's born and raised in Portland, Oregon and a few things he's passionate about are soccer, sales, and spoken word poetry. And this episode is going to focus on you know seven years ago we embarked on an epic 30-day road trip across the country and we wanted to share what sparked this journey, some stories from this adventure, and some key takeaways. Yeah, and I specifically really love the parts where we jump into the importance of travel and what that can really do for our perspectives on on people and on cultures and just how we can take that with us through our lives, really. And he just has some really good insights on that from your guys' experience, which was really cool to hear. Yeah, I absolutely loved going down memory lane with this. This was a, a ton of fun, and I think you'll find a lot of value, especially if you're feeling, you know, not super psyched about America right now. You know, there's a lot to still be optimistic with. Yeah, and with all that being said, let's get into the episode. All right, so to start off, I don't think I've ever, actually, maybe I have, but heard why you guys went on this trip in the first place yeah there's there's some good backstory to that so i'll share i'll share what i remember and like my perspective and how it came to be and then justin uh feel free to add in the blanks my memory isn't always the best (laughs) on everything but so essentially like just to give some some background and context i think from my perspective it really started uh in college my senior year I had this capstone paper that you have to do as part of your senior thesis, and it's around this um, a paradox, right? Exploring the the human condition, and so I chose to write about the paradox of freedom and bondage. So at its at its core, my paradox was an exploration uh, of the self, right? It was an attempt to understand the paradoxical nature of the self in its relationship to social interaction. So as a result, the goal of the paper was really an attempt to like examine and understand the complexity of the human condition, primarily 
through, through three academic disciplines, looking at uh, social psychology and business, both of which fell under my major, and then American history. Um, I'm a big fan of history, and then for the sake of and focus of the paper, American history. And uh, it might be helpful, too, to just give some, like, basic operating definitions of, of what I mean um, by, like, freedom and bondage, right? So, yeah. loosely... Uh, freedom can be defined as the right of an individual to, to speak, think, or act as one wants without hindrance or restraint, right? And uh, conversely, bondage is defined as the state of being a slave. And, you know, when doing this paper, I was thinking about it both in the, um, the literal sense as, as well as the figurative sense. So with that being said, to lay a little bit more groundwork, uh, a lot of this idea and the focus of the paper is based around this fundamental theory, this social contract theory, right? So by nature, according to social contract theory, uh, humans as individuals are free, but humans also aren't designed to live alone. We're social creatures, and in order for, for humans you know, to survive in social communities, it requires a degree of, of concessions and dependability on others. Um, so over time, as, as society has evolved, so has the complexity of the balancing act between the will of the individual versus the will of the, the collective. Um, like a recent example of this that I've, I've thought about is like COVID-19, right? And the way that's played out. And, and you can look at that a lot of different ways. We don't have to like go down that rabbit hole, but that's like a recent example. Yeah. So one of the fundamental beliefs here uh, is that all people are created equal and that no one has, has the right to govern others. So the only authority that is just is the one generated out of agreements or contracts that we, that we enter into. Uh, so I feel like that gives some framework around the work that I was doing and sort of spawning out of that, that paper that I did and, and doing all of that research really coincided with some of the things I was doing with Justin and a few other people at that time. And it sort of inspired this idea of wanting to, to sort of operationalize, so to speak, what I was learning in, in a very theoretical, abstract sense. And I was like, hey, how is this really playing out um, in the real world? And the way the American dream sort of ties into that and into the paradoxes, there's this uniquely American thing, this like phrase that became adopted over time called the American dream. And it's like evolved over time, different generations have, have said it means different things and it means different things to different people. And I wanted to understand the relationship in a way of what does the American dream mean in, in today's context and even in relation to this idea of like freedom and bondage and how we perceive the state and condition that we're in today. So that was a, a big motivating factor for me in wanting to do it, just this huge drive to like want to continue to learn and understand. And then also just the selfish motivating factor of wanting to see to see the country and explore so many places hopefully that wasn't like too long and exhaustive but that was sort of like the background and, and motivation for me no that's great um i did have a question um when you're explaining all that what made you want to bring justin along with you one one reason why i i i knew you would want to bring justin is because he is also a history buff he loves history he loves people so that seemed like a good fit, but you're also like traveling together. So like what brought about inviting Justin along? Yeah, I don't remember fully if it was like as I was, I don't fully remember where it originated in the sense of like if it came about just talking 
over dinner one night and just being like, hey, what if we went on a road trip and explored it this way? I always like knew deep down, even from a young age, I wanted to do a road trip. So I don't fully remember like the exact origin of this, but I knew because we were doing a lot of work together that Justin would be a really good person to share this experience with. Kind of to your point, uh, something he was passionate about. We were both passionate about a lot of, of similar things. So there's just a lot of mutual like reasons and motivating factors to want to want to do this. The other thing is, uh, I think when you do something like a road trip with a person for a long period of time, it should be someone that <laughs> that you enjoy being around and, and can tolerate being around. Yeah, for most that importantly, of time. someone that you can tolerate. And I feel like we tolerated each other really well, really well, actually, it, it was surprising. <laughs> and maybe we'll get into this in this conversation. But we in so like we're very similar in some ways. But in other ways, we're very different and sort of our contrasting styles and maybe even personalities, I don't know, just uh, meshed really well. Just like in relationships, you need complementary right. things. Right. Nice. Yeah, what I remember about it was <laughs> we were sitting around your dinner table okay. and Brandon was over and someone had, you, you had always talked about the road trip, like you wanted to go on a road trip. And then we had the idea of let's interview we said, let's set a goal to interview like 10,000 people. And we didn't even have like a, a theme of what we wanted to interview them about, but we just wanted to interview 10,000 people. And then we said, you know, let's, you had the idea like, Hey, I wrote my, I spent all this time and energy writing this thesis on the, the, you know, the paradox of freedom and bondage in the American dream. Like, let's ask people what it means to them. Mm. And we can, sort of piggyback that into a road trip which is uh, satisfies the selfish part but you know it like it was kind of two birds with one stone mm -hmm. and I, I think that from there like as soon as we had the idea i think that very night we're like we're doing this and then we started planning it like immediately that's what okay. i remember that sounds that sounds better than what i <laughs> might have said <laughs> filling in the gaps there for me well that's awesome so I want to get, so let's start on a high note. The greatest experiences that come to mind on that trip. Shoot. I mean, <laughs> there, there's like, so there's, there's such a wealth of experiences when, when it comes to the trip and just like people that we met and, and things that we did. Um, I think one of the, one of the initial things that jumps out to me that has just always stuck in my memory is Sedona. Arizona. That is just a really unique place. I think the people we interacted with also being out in nature for a large part of it, it was just like a really unique blend of, of experiences, of people, of place that was very different uh, from, from here. So from just like a starting out point, that one just pops out to me as like a really uh, unique experience. And where are you from? Are you from Oregon? Yeah. Born, okay. born in Portland, raised in Gresham, living in Troutdale now. So Okay. <laughs> it's funny to think that other places in the States can almost feel foreign. Mm, yeah. Like, I've actually never been to Texas, but I just kind of assume that it just has a different kind of flair than, like, Oregon would. You know, you go there and there's just, like, almost a different culture there. And same with Utah. Like, there's... There's really a different culture here than you would experience in Oregon. So you yeah. don't have to go far to. Yeah. And that, oh, yeah. I think that was, in, we intentionally tried to plan. So the route, maybe we could talk about the route and kind of mm. the, what, what we went through because it, 
it basically it dropped down from Oregon into California. We went through Huntington Beach, the Bay Area, and then we went over like through New Mexico. Remember, we spent that random night in like a truck stop parking lot <laughs> in the car. So we're in, in, bear in mind, we're in a 97 Camry for this entire 6,000 mile journey. A loyal car. It was a trusty steed, if ever there was one. And we visited 23 states in 30 days. Mm-hmm. So we were cooking like it was, it was, you know, through New Mexico down into Texas. We actually did a brief stint in Juarez, Mexico, <laughs> which <laughs> oh, yeah. we almost didn't make it back from then over to Florida, up the East coast and then back to the Midwest. So like that's oh, wow. the route here. And it was, it was a fast, fast paced. And we ended up interviewing 300 people in that 30 day period, including plus all the driving time. So it, it was like, it was, it was a marathon if I, you know, as far as just the, the sheer energy output. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's helpful to know that background when we're talking about sort of these experiences. Yeah. And, and for further context, know that that was not our first choice to, to do that within 30 days. It, it fell within necessity due to needing to get back. I think it was, was it a wedding that you needed? Yeah, it was my sister's work? wedding. Yeah. Oh, it was kind of important. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Important. And we didn't have the budget to stay out much longer. Right. Right. Which also was... we could talk about couch surfing and all of the days <laughs> that that entailed. Oh, I want to hear about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny too. Yeah. Like talking about the backstories, like we had this, we had this ambition goal, ambitious goal of like wanting to do this, this long road trip and have all these memorable experiences on basically a shoestring budget. And so we just leveraged every resource we could in terms of, <laughs> you know, sleeping in places and food that we could eat. And even along the way, we had some angels that helped provide us with extra money to help us along the way because of like this divine act. And just all these things that were required for us to even accomplish this like 30 day road trip. Oh, I've taken a trip and I have slept in a car for multiple days in a row. Did you guys sleep in the car at some time? We slept, we slept oh, in yeah. many a Walmart parking lot. Yes. Yeah. That is Walmart. not a comfortable experience. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, it was. At least after a couple of days, like, okay, this is really kind mm-hmm. of wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah, it was. Like, so the first, we did have a lot of people open up for couch. So if you never use couch surfer, is it couch surfer it. or heard about it? Yeah. So it's. No, yeah. I, I've heard about it. So okay. I've called heard about it. What do you mean? No, I know it's called couch surfer. Oh, okay. I'm just saying if people who are listening have heard about it um, or haven't heard about it, it's basically, it's like face, it's almost like Facebook. Like it's a, it's a social network of people who are basically willing to give up their, like open up their home for people to stay for free. Um, and you have to be like sort of vetted and make sure you're not like a, you know, an ax murderer for them to let you in. So you have to have like a professional looking profile and whatnot, but some of the experiences that we had couch surfing, I think the trip would have been completely different if we wouldn't have been able, if we would have been staying in hotels, like it was just, it made it so much greater to meet all of these people. Like for, I think the first place we stayed was in, was it in Huntington beach with Walter? Yeah. That's such, that's such a good point too. Cause even you think of that model of staying in places for free, it's like very different than the way we're used to thinking about traveling. Like you stay in a hotel, you pay for something and in exchange, you they'll accommodate you. And instead there's this platform of just people, community that recognizes, Hey, we want to travel. We also want to like host and meet other people. 
will offer our space and in exchange, just be a good guest, um, you know, share some stories with us and like as a best practice, maybe leave a gift, you Mm -hmm. know, when you're leaving. And so the people you meet in Couchsurfing totally embody that sense of, of community and yeah, each, each couch surfer, I think that we, we stayed with embodied that and offered such interesting, uh, like stories and uh, dialogue is great. I think that's the beauty of traveling. Mm-hmm. Like when, when you're traveling, you, you're going to run into those people and it is a community. Like when you're staring, staying couch surfing or you're staying in hostels or anything like that, like there's a community there that just enjoys this experience of travel. And like meeting people that is, it's a really rich experience. Yeah. And that's, that's probably why Sedona was so great because (laughs) of Peter. Yeah. Peter Peter. was awesome. Justin, tell us about Peter. Oh man. So, so Peter was, he was one of the couch surfers that let us stay. Uh, It was like above a cafe where he had a, 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 his house and so he has um, a very unique life view where he, in, in Sedona, this is pretty common where they, they believe in, in the vortices. So it's basically um, different land masses or rock formations that have sort of cosmic energy. Um, if I don't you know, mis explain this, but he believed that basically our whole existence was essentially like we're on our lunch break in a higher reality we go down to some virtual reality goggles, we put them on, and this is what we're living right, right now. And the way to get back was to basically stimulate the vortices of these land, these rock formations by having a certain number of people climb them. So Bell Rock was the one that we climbed um, with him. And that was his only re- you know, requirement for letting people couch surf with him is he wanted to, I, I believe it was like 1,888, some, some, some specific number that he wanted of people to get to the top of Bell Rock so that he could raise the frequency of the rock enough to open a portal to get back to the higher reality. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly common belief in Sedona. Um, oh, really? And yeah, it's, it's people go to Sedona for the, the cosmic energy of the, the vortices on like, if you were to, to hear that, it might sound like, you know, kind of crazy, but he was a completely down to earth guy. Like I loved him. I still talk to him to this day. He's a great guy, super inspiring. And we had the same quote on our business cards. Remember that Robert? (laughs) (laughs) What's the quote? It was a Helen, Helen Keller quote. I saw a picture of it the other day. It was a Helen Keller quote where he's, she said, life was either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And we both had the same. And so it was like, we were instant best buds after that. But that, I don't know, that was a perfect example of like the type of experiences that you have while couch, you know, using Couchsurfer. I think, well, let's, let's touch on California. And I even think maybe as we have these conversations about things, there are some themes that like might emerge, at least in my head that have emerged, right? In, in mm-hmm. so many of the places that we went to. And so we were in Huntington Beach and we were able to meet with, with Dave who owns like a burger shack there. And uh, we come to find out that the place there has actually been in, in their family for, for generations. And they were one of the first families that had a, a burger shack. And at the time, it was a, if I remember right, an umbrella yeah, stand, it was, I think was yeah, one of like, the main things. 
Yeah, Huntington Beach was like an oil town at that point. No one thought, mm -hmm. everyone was like, tourism, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and he was like this visionary who's like, let me rent out the lifeguard tower and I'll sell, I'll rent umbrellas to people so they can sit on the beach and they're you know, like fully dressed because people didn't, this is back in like the 40s, 30s or 40s, I think. Yeah. So it, what's interesting about that one is like we, we had this interaction with a person that you could say um, achieved the quote unquote American dream, right? right? Like the successful business owners had been in their family for years. So talking to them, you could really tell, especially like with Dave, that it was just so much more than that, right? It wasn't about this like success or even financial well-being. It was like so tied to, to the community, to the people that they built relationships with in the town, the people that would come and visit every summer that they knew that would come to Huntington Beach and they started knowing each other by name and were, would it be expected to see each other every summer? And that's what was like really important. Uh, to them were those like relationships and the the community of like Huntington Beach and the vibe there and so seeing like a, a specific geographic region this like beach town and then you can look at within that this area of, of a business that over time what may have started is just this enterprise ends up becoming this really integrated link to to the community right just through selling burgers and offering uh, umbrellas to people and I think that's what was like really unique and a, a lasting thing about uh, that time in Huntington for me. I felt the same way because he, I remember at one point he said he, he made an effort to hire people who were kind of down on their luck mm -hmm. and sort of, sort of mentor them. And he's like this, you see a burger shack, I see a sanctuary. Mm -hmm. I remember him saying that. And I was just like, man, that is so cool. And you would never think it. You would think Huntington beach, beach bums, not serious about much, but surfing, you know, that sort of thing. But like, there is a very real, you know, intentional choice for them to, to make it into a sanctuary where again, people could come from far away and know that it was something familiar every year to look forward to. And then the people that work there, like literally their, their entire world sort of depended on, well, maybe not their entire world, but it was a very critical aspect of like their recovery and their, you know, their well-being. Yeah. And I think another interesting thing, and this is just going to like a broader level of even looking at like what we experienced in California and some of the other warmer places versus like East Coast and other things is this like California's very laid back vibes, like Huntington's like warm, sunny, even when you think about like weather, it's like warm all the time and sunshine versus some places we went where it's not like the weather all year round and just the mood of like people and the vibe of people just even based on the weather, even when you look at like the US is so interesting because the weather isn't the same in all these places. And just like observing that on a macro level was like really interesting looking at the trip as a whole. Mm -hmm. Well, I know living in Oregon versus living in Utah, there's so it's sunny here all the time, mm. even though like it snows here and it doesn't really rain, but it's it's always sunny majority of the time it's sunny and then in Oregon you kind of get a majority of the time of gloomy weather and you can kind of see the difference in yeah there's definitely a, a yeah a difference in the vibe yeah tell tell everyone about your great idea about going into <laughs> Juarez you should share that yeah that was that was a one for the record books so we got to El Paso Texas 
And I had just returned from two years in Mexico City. And so I felt like Mexico was a second home, which obviously border patrolmen take a different stance on that. You need paperwork and documentation to cross international borders. But we we were down by the border and we just thought, hey, let's go see if they'll let us go across for like half an hour. And then, you know, they'll probably let us back in. We don't wait, look wait. like we're... Go ahead. Can I clarify here? You said we just thought. I want to be. Like, I want to make it clear to your audience that we didn't necessarily share this optimism of just walking freely in between Mexico and the U.S. But continue. was that was that all me? I feel like that couldn't have been all me. It was. It was primarily you. I remember just distinctly being concerned about it, but you were so gung ho, and I was just like, "All right, let's let's go for it." Well, I was, I was, I was partially gung ho until I got to the border patrolmen who were like, it's fine. Just show them your driver's license on the way back. You're fine. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, they're border patrolmen. They should know, right? N- no. Cause we got across and right along the river, Juarez is not, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, um, it's a lower income part of Juarez. So we walked in and it, you know, probably it's not a a very safe town, but it was during the day we walked in and we met some street performers and, you know, we, I talked to them in Spanish because they didn't speak English and they told me kind of what their, their impression of America was. And they, they wanted to go, you know, get to America so they could become performers is what I remember. Um, And then, you know, we only stayed for like half an hour and then we tried to get back in the border patrolman so obviously the border patrolman letting you back into the united states is an is a united states citizen the border patrolman letting you into mexico are mexican citizens and he was like they'll tell you anything to get you over there because they want you to spend money and he's like you can't cross international borders with a driver's license <laughs> like so are you gonna let us back in <laughs> <laughs> or like, what's the process here? Yeah, we're like, yeah. so so is it you, like a slap remember? on the wrist or you remember what he asked? <laughs> what did he, ask? he asked us? He's like, okay, let's see your like identification and we show our driver's licenses. And he's like, okay, where where are your passports? <laughs> and then we go into that explanation of, oh, well, we were told we didn't need passports. And then he just like looked at us like we were so unintelligent. <laughs> Which we were in his defense. Yes. But to his credit, he was like, he didn't, he looked so perplexed, like these two idiots. He's like, how can, what can I say here? He's like, obviously they're not Mexican citizens. Like they, they do not resemble Mexican citizens. I don't know what to do. Like he was just at a loss for words for a while. And then he's just like, I'm going to let you off with a warning, but don't ever do this again. We're like, I can't believe we're actually getting back in because we were starting to have flashes of like, we're going to be in a Mexican prison, like waiting for you know our parents to fly down and bail us out with our documentation. So yeah, we got off easy on that one, but wow. yeah, probably not my, my, uh, my wisest decision. Wow. But they did tell us we only needed driver's license for the record. <laughs> in my defense, he said. The border patrolman said. That's true. You'd think you'd you could trust that authority, right? Yeah, you would think, but you'd think it was a good teaching moment. It was a good teaching moment, and it's a good story, you know. And that's kind of the way that I live my life. It, I ask myself, is this going to make a good story? And if I say yes, then most of the time I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I think that's the story you shared to convince me to go over. You're like Robert. 
you know, I just ask myself, is this going to be a good story one day? And I think okay. it is. So let's do it. Whenever <laughs> oh, I'm no. on the fence, that's my tiebreaker right there. So oh anyway. no. Okay. That's, and that is the, the moral of the story here that we are bringing to everyone today is that is if, if you're, you're on the fence, ask if it's going to make a good story and then and go, go for with, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? All right. Well, should we go into, do you guys have any more experiences that you want to share? Yeah, we can move to Terlingua. I think we can even connect connect it in some ways to our experience with Juarez. Um, but do you want to give like the context on Terlingua? Yeah, so we were we were driving and we happened we were on our way to Houston to see my great uncle, and we were emailing him, you know, trying to coordinate, you know, if he could meet or you know where they would want to meet and whatnot. And he said, "Hey, if you're looking for the American dream, you're not going to find more." you know, people that, that epitomize dreamers more than in Terlingua, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, all right, it's only like a two hour detour. Let's just go for it. And so we, we drove off and it's basically right on the, the Mexican border, but it's, it's much further down in, into Texas. And I think it's the Southwestern side. And anyway, I'll let you kind of tell the rest of what we experienced when we got there. Well, Terlingo is just one of the the most unique places I've ever been. If you can call it a town or a city or a little, it's just like a, it's not even really a pit stop because you don't, it's not it's a place you drive like through to get. You have to drive to somewhere. Yeah, exactly. you have to drive to it. And essentially it's a place with like one general store, one like restaurant, and then one giant like public swing, I think if I I remember no, correctly like the, the porch i think they called or it the porch yeah and it's just this little spot with i think they said around like 16 people or maybe 20 people occupy this this town interlingua but wow. what was so unique about it is just this this little place that obviously you don't go to it by like accident you know <laughs> and you get there and it's just this group of like eclectic people that intentionally wanted to get away from whatever, right? The city, uh, capitalism, all these things. The rat and just, race. Yeah. yeah, get off get off the beaten path. And there's this strong like link. We we had a conversation with someone, I can't remember their name, and they were talking about um, like the dance party, right? Mm-hmm. That they had uh, at the river, right? They're like Mexico is just a few miles away, or like the river is just like really close. And it's so interesting because you know, it's like illegal to cross the border, but they're just like right there. And we're like right here. And why can't we just open up the border and just like live within community, like they're people and we're people. And it's just such a different perspective uh, from talking to those people in there. Right. And then I'll, I'll connect it briefly to like Juarez and why that's like interesting. Right. So you have this really big town in, in El Paso. And then on the other side is Juarez, like two major towns. And, but on one side you have like, the, the economic like income disparity between El Paso and, and Juarez is just like glaring, right? And it's just divided by this, like, I don't know what the distance is total between the places, but it's just like this glaring thing. And it's so interesting to witness every single day, they said thousands of people cross from Mexico into El Paso to go and like work and sell things. And then in the evening, they're like going back and trying to provide for their family, just moving back and forth. But due to circumstances and just where they live, right, based on in, in Juarez or El Paso, their life is so different, 
right? And then again, now then you go into Trilingua and you meet this other small group of people and they're just like, yeah, it's so weird, this idea of like borders and why can't we just live in community and this idea of like land and ownership is just like so different in, in certain places. And it was really unique to like get that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they would, I think it was like a yearly thing where they'd have that barbecue where they would both, you know, the, the people in the town in Mexico across the river would come to the river bank and they would come to the river bank and they would have this big barbecue with like massive, like big bands. I don't know how big the bands were, but they had really loud, you know, speakers and they would blare like these concerts for people on both sides of the river. So they couldn't cross, but they would just like have a party together divided by a river, which I don't know, it's just cool. And like, if you think about like the American dream, as you know the and we we heard this a million times like it's the house in the suburbs with you know the husband works the wife stays at home they have 2.5 kids and a dog and then they like contrast that with like what we experienced in Terlingua and it's just like the, they were really happy because they weren't so concerned about getting ahead it was just trying to make each day meaningful and i remember you know i wouldn't necessarily want to live there but yeah, the, I learned lessons about being content and, you know, trying to find meaning in the day without the rat race. So that's always stayed with me. Yeah, for sure. And last thing I'll say about that, even like the lifestyle that they live in the pace of life is just like, so <laughs> it couldn't contrast more than with like the pace that we were on, on that road trip, right? Like, so everything down to the T of got to do this and leave by this time. We got to be here by this date. And they're just like, whoa, slow down. Like, just, just breathe, be present. Like what's, what's the rush. It's like such a different way of life. I think that's really valuable, especially today. Cause obviously that definition of American dream has evolved. And today we are just so quick to move to the next thing that that having it's almost a skill we need to redevelop Mm -hmm. to just slow down and not worry about like everything else that's going on you know just being present with people and you know whatever whatever you want to be present with but so do you remember linda and andy that we met interlingua they weren't from there they were they were tourists yeah yeah, and it was so funny because they were from like a, a small town, but they were very much like a traditional family where Andy was a postman and I think Linda stayed home. And it was so interesting that in we happened to be interlingua when we had we met them and they were just like they were probably in their, I don't know, fifties, mid fifties. We're both retired, just wanted to see Terlingua. They're from like Templeton, Texas, if I remember correctly. Somewhere I, I don't remember exactly. Maybe Temple, Texas was what it's called, but I remember Andy said, he's like, your generation, all, you all have to be somebody. <laughs> he's like, Oh, totally. He's like, you guys, he's like, there was nothing wrong with being a postman. Like that was a respectable thing to do with my life. He's like, you guys, all you millennials, you just, you have to be somebody. He's like, just chill out just relax and like, and like do something that's good for the community. You don't have to be a rock star and you don't all have to be famous. And it was, it was cool to like, have that point driven home interlingua by someone who was from a much more traditional sort of, I guess, background. Mm, yeah. I remember that. That was so cool. Um, <clears throat> one thing I'll, I'll bring up, and this kind of goes to just one of the challenges I think for me 
of of the experience in general is just this sense of we would get to these really cool places like Terlingua as an example and we're there and we're experiencing it but always in the back of my mind thinking oh we got to leave soon right like this is so cool I want to be here longer like we're just scratching the surface of like what's going on here and I know we have to like leave soon and I think for me and like my personality I'm very much more like slow like just a chill vibe. And this is where that sort of balancing thing, I think came into play where like, Justin, you're much more, I'll say at that time uh, into the hustle and that like hustle culture. And you, you, you did a really good job of just like keeping us on track, right? Like if you weren't there in the, in the back, like whispering to me, Robert, we got to stay on track, Robert, we got to keep going, right? Like we wouldn't have completed the road trip like to all the places we wanted to go. Cause I was just like wanting to just like be there and, and go further, like out of curiosity, that's just like how I am. And that was like one of the biggest challenges of like getting to these places and wanting to see more and just not like being able to. Yeah. I, you could live, live there for, I would, I'm not going to say a lifetime. That's a little bit dramatic, but <laughs> like for living in Mexico, do you mm -hmm. feel like you were able to really grasp what it's like? Mm-hmm to live there okay yeah. so maybe like how long did that take i i mean what i'm saying is a couple a while, days but yeah when a day is not going to cut it yeah it took six months or so before i could even really converse with people and then yeah once once i feel like once you can speak the language yeah the 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 bonding to the place itself grows much quicker yeah but yeah a day definitely is not enough were you there a day or were you there a couple days? Everywhere we went, we were there like a day. Yeah. Maybe, maybe two, but it was rare that we would stay anywhere two days. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the hard part. All the concessions we had to make of being like, we want to see all these places. And <laughs> it's just tough. It was great. Like, yeah, it, it would have been nice to, to spread it out over an entire summer, but I don't know. I feel like for me at that time in my life, I, I loved the, we got to, we got to keep moving. And it's funny you say that because we actually have done an episode on the lies the hustle culture teaches us and the need to slow down more. So I've grown as well since, since then. Just so oh, you know, I know. Robert. I listened to that. That's why I brought <laughs> oh, it up. Perfect. <laughs> He's queuing back to other episodes for us. Yes. It'll help our podcast <laughs> yeah. SEO. Yeah. So go, if you haven't heard that episode, go back to episode two, two or three. I think so. Yeah. And you can, you can listen there. After you've listened to this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just check what time we're at. Really quick. Okay. Yeah, so we're, we're a little longer than that. Because, so we're like 40 minutes. Yeah. Probably. Okay. So yeah, if we're going to, let me just Is highlight the ones zoom? that we probably really want. There's no limit on the Zoom. Um, ones we probably really want to touch on. I, I think touching on Tracy would be good. Because like her, what she said about disillusionment, because she was a gener, you know, a couple of years ahead of us and like the college debt sort of disillusionment. Do you remember her talking about that? Like not in detail. So. Okay. We'll just, we'll skip that. Um, so we, we could talk about San Antonio and, and Trey Day and Devin and the V-Town real uh, music group where they were like freestyling in the, in the street that like people that were walking by like you in the purple shirt and then he would rhyme something with purple shirt um we could talk about aj in in louisiana so off bourbon street i think we have to talk about that um 
Washington DC with Tom and then with the, the Ghanaians, Ernest and Tony, um, Steve, the historian in Philadelphia, Bill, the, the, the vice president of VB, BVBA or that big bank. Um, and then we have like my great aunt and uncle who we've talked about a lot on the podcast, Andrew and Stephanie. Um, there's a lot. There's and a ton what, we could talk about and we and could skip all of that. what to go to takeaways? And That's what I was going to say. Exactly. So we could, we could touch on maybe one more of those and then just jump to sort of recap how it's changed our lives since, how we define the American dream now, do we believe in it? Why is it important to believe in it? Wait, that sort of thing. Oh, okay. Those okay. questions. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll defer to you we'll on jump which, straight to those now. What do you think? Whatever. If you want to add one more like anecdote or story, like we just made a Texas, maybe one person further along in a place and talk about whatever one's like popping out to you or you feel like would be most beneficial to the theme of our talk, but for to you. Yeah. I mean, they're all pretty, well, maybe we could just do AJ and then we could say, we don't have time to go over everything that happened after Louisiana, but we went north <laughs> and then we went west. <laughs> AJ, AJ, how do you say his last name? Oh, we're not, I don't think we should what? say last names. Yeah. Just say oh, AJ. Right, right. Um, he's on Facebook. Is mm-hmm. he on Facebook? And he has like the symbol as his name. Uh, at one point he did. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, Okay, that's not not important. AJ, AJ's cool. I love mm-hmm. it. Okay, well, let's cover AJ then. Okay. How did we come about to find AJ? I think that was on Couch Surfer as well. And it was like a few weeks in advance. We reached out to him and he was like, yeah, come, come stay at my place. And I felt so fortunate because his place, to be fair, looked a little sketch at first. But at the same time, I was like, this guy is staying like right off of Bourbon Street and we should just stay there. And he even had a parking pass for us to stay overnight and it just worked out really well. And so we get there, we like, I think we messaged, I can't remember if we messaged him through couch surfing or text. We're like, hey, we're here. Where should we park? What should we do? And he like sent us the info and we're like, all right, how legit is this going to be? Like we trust, we trust couch surfing, but it still is like interesting. Anyway, we get there and and he's just like the nicest like guy. Like you know that like cliche where you say like when you walk into the room and someone just sort of like lights it up and you just like feel that radiant energy. Well, he really did exude that. Like for me, he just brought this like warmth and hospitality and maybe you could equate that with like the southern hospitality or even like maybe like Louisiana hospitality, I don't know. But he just exuded that and he just turned out to be such a cool guy who lived in like this small space but was like the most hospitable person yeah he was just he was great what do you remember from that justin yeah i mean the first thing that we did when we got there he's like you have to go down and he had that cool you know new orleans (laughs) accent he's like you have to go down to the corner store and get some catfish po' boys remember those catfish sandwiches that uh, they're like deep fried catfish on a hoagie I don't know if there's cheese on it or whatnot, but yeah, it was, they were delicious. He's like, you have to get one of them, come on back. And then I'll give you the tour of bourbon street. And it was just like, yeah, it was, it was awesome from, from the moment we got there. And yeah, he was just the, the kindest, 
person you could ever want. And so, yeah, don't judge, don't judge a, a couch surfer profile by the cover. Yeah. Well, I had a very similar experience to that when, um, I was in Scotland and we were staying at like a five star hostel. Hostels mm-hmm. are rated by, well, sorry, hotels yeah. <laughs> by stars. And we were visiting some friends that we had met at another hostel and it was like a one-star hostel, but it was like way better than our five-star hostel. And we're <laughs> like, you just can't, it really doesn't, the stars didn't really matter. Like it was really just the experience and the people that, that made it what it was. Yeah. It made it five stars. And his house ended up being cool. I don't know. I liked it just because it was built in the French quarter and it was like, I don't know, over a hundred years old, the building that we were in. Yeah. If and I remember correctly. Do you remember he, it was really neat. He, he gave us like military rations mm. and gave us some backgrounds around Hurricane Katrina. Cause he was, he did. was there for that. He talked and to we us ate about, those while we yeah. were on the road. <laughs> he, he, t- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he talked about like the, what the city went through and what that experience was like and how they, came together after that and just the fears like all of it that that they had to like experience and go through that and that and like shared with us where we could still see the impact of hurricane katrina and what areas like weren't impacted by that so we're able to like go and explore and see that and understand that historical context as we were like going around the town and it was just like hugely valuable and like randomly do you remember he made us i think it was omelets it was like yeah, our eggs and morning. sausage, just like the sweet. We're like, what? What's going on here? He's like, yeah, I'm making you my, <laughs> my like omelets for you. He's, it's it's really good, and he's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, we st- I still stay in touch with him. Yeah, he's a great nice. guy. Yeah, he's awesome. So from those experiences, and we've touched on a couple valuable lessons that you've learned, but are there any lessons that? come to mind any other lessons Mm, I think what I remember was really interesting with with AJ is here's a person that like loved people and had a wealth of knowledge when it comes to interacting with different people from all over because he had welcomed up his place uh, to so many people and yet from talking with him he wasn't an experienced traveler and he didn't really like get out and travel a lot. And at that time he was talking about how he actually wanted to like go out West and do more traveling because he hadn't done a lot of it. So like, I think one of the takeaways for me was thinking about, you don't necessarily have to be this traveler that goes all over the world to broaden your perspective and, and meet different people. Right. And he found a way to do that just by opening up his doors through couch surfing. And that was a, a means for him to just build awesome relationships and like broaden his perspective. So that was like one of the big like takeaways for me after being there. Which could be scary opening your doors like that to random strangers. Like you just don't know who's going to, who's going to walk through your door, which can be thrilling for some people, but can also be terrifying for others. Yeah. I, I brought up the idea once to my partner of, (laughs) creating a couch surfing-esque like space and and, an account and it was shut down right away (laughs) (laughs) i know as we've been talking about this i'm like hmm i wonder if we could like i don't know set something up but 
I don't think that would work with the baby. Yeah, it's it's definitely yeah, I don't know. It's it's an it's 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 a commitment for sure because they have people like every week they have new people every couple of days. But yes, I mean, I, there's so many story, there's so many different things that we could cover on this trip, but I feel like we're you know, we got to cut it cut it short at some point. Um so we're just to, you know, we, we made it through California down through Texas and then we haven't really talked about Florida, we got to Louisiana. So, you know, really from there, we went up the, the East coast, we almost Ferris Bueller'd our way into the, the 4th of July parade in Washington, DC. We tried. Um, I think we, yeah, we tried we didn't <laughs> quite make it. Um, we met a lot of really cool people. We met um, Israeli people. We met Ghanaian people. Then we went back through the Midwest, through lots of cornfields. Then we got to Denver, and you know, eventually made it back home. So I mean, we, for the we, wedding, for the wedding, I made right it in time, time. A couple, like a day or two before the wedding, we made it. It was a wonderful experience. I wish we had more time to talk about everything that we experienced there. But it's probably time to talk about kind of just a recap of what what we learned from it. How how it has impacted you still to this day? Mm. Wow. There's like, there's a lot, I guess I'll start one of the, one of the key takeaways for me. And we were kind of talking about as the themes that was emerging, just going through these places was just, just the role and looking at it historically, right? Like history is so important to understand, like to understand current situation and dynamics and how people interact if you don't understand like historical context then so many things just don't make sense so even traveling across all these places and even within the u.s like we're all americans right but man this country is really big and even as you go to these different places right the role of like geographic location weather the dynamics of cities things that have happened in that city like just plays such an an important role in some ways in, in what shapes a person's like worldview, their culture, their behaviors. And seeing that firsthand uh, has just always stuck in my mind, right? Like it's, again, it's like the stereotype where we say, you know, think it's different in the South. People are different in the South or the culture is different in the South. And that is really true. Like West Coast <laughs> is different than in the South. And then it's different than in the East Coast, like broadly speaking, right? And until you experience it, it just doesn't carry the same weight as when you just hear it. Like we know it as like a truism when we say it, but until you go and really experience it and you're in it, it just doesn't carry the same weight. Well, it's an amazing experience stepping, well, experiencing someone else's reality. Because mm -hmm. when you're in your own space, you know, that's, that's just kind of your world until you've broadened it and you're like, oh, wow, like, you know, there's different perspectives and different cultures and just different point of views. And it's, it's enlightening to see. Yeah. It was definitely interesting to see how like the, the, I was always looking for correlations in, in the definition, right. Of what, when we would ask people, cause really we only asked people all that we want to know from you. And we recorded every one of them. We still have all the recordings. We have to, nice. we, were, we were planning on writing a book, but <laughs> we haven't quite gotten around to it. You'll it's only there. like seven years. Um, but anyway, the, the, the questions we would ask were one, do you believe in the American dream? And two, what does it mean to you? If I remember correctly. And so many people would just say, you know, it's the American dream is just to be happy. And then we would try and dig a little bit deeper, but the, the things that stuck out to me were 
that people do still believe that the United States of America is a place where, you know, with all its flaws and all of its systems, you know, the, the higher education system and all the things that we could go into that are not ideal. The general belief that I got from people was that America is still a place where there is opportunity for people that are willing to, to seize it. And I think it comes down to kind of like what, what you were saying, like every, every area that we went to is different, but I feel like sort of the common thread that, that ran through every one of those places was that people buy into the fact that America is special. And just the fact that they all buy into that, I think gives people a leg up into being able to you know, make more of their lives or to, to have the opportunity become more real because everyone sort of accepts it or everyone believes that it is, if that makes sense. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that was the theme that I got from people. Yeah. I, yeah. It's so interesting because plus one to that in the sense of from the conversations that we have and the anecdotes and sort of an overarching theme. And it was interesting because I was going into it with so much skepticism <laughs> because my, my paper and sort of like the research. And if I were to speak to like statistics, it doesn't necessarily agree with the affirmation that the American dream like is accessible by and large for people in the US, right? And yet people still believe in it. And we can talk about the importance of believing in that, even if it's like not true or, or whatever. But yeah, I absolutely agree. I think people by and large do have that like optimism about being here. And one of the interesting things to me that emerged during the road trip was the the experience and the way people who were immigrants would talk about the American dream and their optimism with being here versus conversing with people who have been here for, for generations. And again, there's, there's so many ways you can look at it and we were only scratching the surface, right? But just by and large, many of the immigrants that we spoke with just had this overwhelming optimism and feeling of good fortune for being here in, in the US and what they could do as far as far as they how they define success versus people who were here living in generation much more like skeptical and feeling that the american dream wasn't necessarily a reality for them and that was one of like the things that really stood out to me yeah and i i i couldn't agree with that more and i think that something that's so interesting about that is obviously there's sort of this um accumulation of of cynicism through the generation. So the longer someone's here, it's almost like they're more, they're just sort of uh, inheriting the cynicism of their forefathers. Whereas people who are immigrants, they don't have that, that legacy of cynicism or, you know, that they're dragging behind them. And so they, they come with like this, this bright eyed optimism. But I think that that almost gives them, like, I would argue that that gives them an edge to actually make it happen. Like the, the, just the optimism and the fact that they don't have that preconceived skepticism and cynicism actually gives them a, a leg up at, at having a shot at, you know, being more successful or, or finding more fulfillment in the experience of being an American or living in America. Right. It, one like example of this right that you could connect it to is when the four minute mile was finally broken for so long people thought it was impossible to do it and then someone finally did it and then within the next couple of years 
like dozens of people had done it. Yeah, like right? 20 people within like six months did it. Like what <laughs> What changed suddenly their training regimen? No, it's just the fact that sometimes you have to like believe in something. And if you believe that you can break the four minute mile, lo and behold. No, and that that's that's a great, like limiting beliefs. It's, it's a real thing. Like that's something that you hear in sales a lot. And then people who aren't in sales are just like, that's a load of garbage. But like you can't argue <laughs> with the fact that Roger Bannister was told that if he ran a sub four minute mile, all of the, the bones in his legs would break, like he would die. And then he did it and he didn't die. And then everyone started to do it. And now you're like slow if you can't run a sub four minute mile. And so it's just like, th- there is something to that. And I would say that that is, is with everything, I don't want to get political, but with everything going on in the United States today, I think we could use more of that optimism. Um, than that than what we have now um because yes there's issues yes there's things that need to be changed but we can't give up on that that optimism that that things that things can get better yeah Yeah. believing that things can change Mm -hmm. yeah well yeah and again not to get political but i just like i i think our no it's okay our economic system would like crash if optimism broke and here's what i mean by that like you look at like the stock market and all these things that we measure the health of the economy well so much of that is based on just this this trust and this idea that things are going well right where if suddenly every american just thought the economy was crashing what would happen everyone would panic and then the stock market would you know fails, go, go yeah. tumbling down and then and then things really would be bad right so so much of it is just based on this idea of like optimism and that things are going well and the market is still trending up so it's good <laughs> right it's like so <laughs> much just based on this idea of being optimistic about a future outcome mm-hmm. yeah hopefully that doesn't that isn't a, like a manipulation tactic well i mean just be <laughs> You could call it that if you like markets are manipulated, but I don't think the size of the markets that we're talking about can be manipulated to the extent that, I mean, people are optimistic by nature, hopefully. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cynicism, but people are, they always bounce back. There's enough optimists out there to keep the market alive and to keep the economy running. Yeah. I don't want to keep talking. I feel like I'll go into a rabbit hole. Yeah, we could definitely, we're like right around the edge of that rabbit hole. We could dive down at any second. So yeah. <laughs> oh maybe man, I episode. want to, but yeah, we'll stay, we're steer, steer clear of it for tonight, but maybe another episode yeah, if, part we feel, two. if we feel the, mm. the desire. All right. So last question, mm. do you feel, or do you think it's important to be a dreamer, even if it doesn't end up making you rich or famous? It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting one. You want me to go first on that, Justin? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of piggybacking off of what you're even just talking about. I think belief is is an important thing, or more important than belief is like optimism in in something. And I think it's it's important for for people to be optimistic about the future and to have hope. Right. And there are examples like I love movies. Movies are such great examples to illustrate that. You can look at Lord of the Rings. It's based around this idea of like hope and even Batman and this idea of in the dark night of Batman versus Gotham. And they're fighting for the soul of the city. And Batman stands for like hope and and all this stuff. Right. But it's totally true that it's important for people to believe in something. And I think the more we're we're even learning in, in science about humans and 
even how we are on like a, on a biochemical level and, and our health is that we are healthier human beings when, when we have hope, when we have purpose, when there is significance and meaning in our lives. And I'll, I'll connect it to <clears throat> a book that I read. I don't know if you remember this, Justin, Man's Search for Meaning. I haven't and, read it. I've read parts of it, but I haven't read the whole thing. Okay. Well, essentially, I'll just boil it down. In, in the book, the, the author is someone who is in a concentration camp. And they're talking about their experiences and what they observed and the people who, who make it and how they make it versus people who don't. And essentially it boils down to the people who were able to survive by and large were the people who made the choice to hang on to this idea of hope and that things would be better. And they were, they were able to hold on and like latch onto that. And that could be such a powerful driving force in moving us forward. So I think it's really important that as individuals and people that we, we do um, dream and believe in better like future outcomes. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I, I really, I honestly feel like I, I am a dreamer. I'm unashamedly a dreamer, but yeah. I don't think, I don't think that I would be today if not for your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and your, your dad was probably the greatest person on the planet at inspiring hope, right? Like, <laughs> like talk about optimism, like he was the definition of optimism. And I remember specifically one thing that he told me, and I, I truly believe that I probably, for sure, we ne- never would have gone on the, the road trip if if he wouldn't have said this to me, where he said, you know, he called me JB. He said, JB, you're going to get to the point where it won't matter if you have a penny in your pocket or a million dollars in your bank account. You're, you'll be, you'll know you'll be okay. Or you'll be confident you'll be okay because you'll be in control of your life. And like that to me is like the, the epitome of, of optimism is just the, the confidence that things are going to be okay. And like, how many times did he say to us, like, respect the process, right? Like, I love that so much. And I think that that, like that was probably, I don't know that, that for me was the catalyst that set me on the road to eventually end up going on this journey with you. And I just feel like it all tied together being able to, it was like a, a a coming of age moment when we could actually go out into the world and put to use all these things that these things that he'd been teaching us. And like my life will forever be different because we did it. And I think that even though we didn't make a book about it and we didn't like the, we might write a book, you know, maybe we will write a book. Maybe we'll go on another one one day, who knows? But I think that the fact that we did it even though it, you know, it hasn't been successful by, you know, it didn't make an, an award-winning documentary or whatever, best-selling book. Like, I feel like it has enriched my life. The fact that I chose to be a dreamer and go do it, something that was completely out of the box and something that you really was born of just like that hope. I don't know. I, I feel like that, that has changed my life possibly more than almost anything else that, that I've done. And I, I don't know, yeah. you know, correct me if, if you don't feel the same, but that, that's, that's how I, I see it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. I got to ask you, I'm, I'm curious, at any point, d- did you feel or do you still feel this sense of failure in, in the way that like we didn't accomplish what we set out to, right? Like we, we said we wanted to write a book about it and here we are seven years later and we didn't do that thing or get that outcome that we said we wanted in the beginning, right? Like after it all happened, did you have this feeling of like, 
we failed that we failed this if we don't write the book or this this was not like worth it if we don't write the book or what was your feelings on on that after like the road trip yeah it's so interesting you said because like i did feel like a like it felt like it was a failure for a little while a couple years probably um but as i've and I think that's kind of the whole point. Like that's the, the, the American dream for me at that time was achieve, finish things, be successful. Like that was all that it was. And the more that I've had time to think about the experience itself, that is almost like a metaphor for how my definition of the American dream has changed. If that makes sense. Like the way that I see the trip itself is, is, as a, you know, being a failure or being a success has, has been almost like a metaphor for how, how my definition of the American dream has changed. Does that make any sense or am I just rambling? I think so. Let me try and clarify it. So I think the, the, the way that I look at the trip now is that we met 300 plus really incredible people. We were able to see the country and we were able to understand what it means to be an American and really a, a good global citizen um, better than we ever would have otherwise. And in my book, that is like as much of a success as it could ever be. And so like that in a nutshell is my new definition of the American dream of is finding meaning in everything that I do and everyone that I meet. Whereas when we first got back from the trip, my whole definition of the American dream was just, we have to write the book and it has to be a bestseller or we're complete failures. So, <laughs> anyway, hopefully that clears it up. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I think I, I came to like a similar place. I, I will say, I don't think I ever felt as strong a, of a conviction that this had to, the end result of this had to be a book, right? Like mm -hmm. it was a failure if we didn't, because again, by and large, this driving force behind it for me was just this curiosity and wanting to like understand more and I think the biggest takeaway for me over time as I've just like evolved and grown and my perspective is like broadened is just this idea of like I came in even like 60 years ago with all these preconceived notions and ideas about what the American dream is and and what have you and like over time and now I just realized how little I knew then right and it I guess if I could end it, like the, the paradox I sort of lean into now is that the more I learn, the less I know. And I'm just like, over, I just keep uncovering more and more things about like life and, and stuff that I realize that like, why, why did I do it that way? Why did I see it that way? There's just so many different ways of like doing life and being in life that is just like changing for me all the time. And so I just becoming more and more comfortable with acknowledging that I just don't have all the answers and that's okay. Amen. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a, a valuable takeaway for just life in general, because yeah. we never will have all the answers, which is unfortunate, but also <laughs> we just got to accept it. <laughs> yeah. And it comes back to respect the process, right? Just find, <laughs> find joy in what you know and understand that there's always going to be more to learn, which I think makes it, makes it exciting. Yeah, I still say that for you, like, yo, just respect the process. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, Robert, shut up. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to hear, but it's it's just like, it's timeless. It will never be bad advice. Yeah. It is timeless. Well, that's 
that's all that we have for today. Robert, we really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your insights. And it was, it was a really good talk. Yeah. I, I loved, I loved going down memory lane with you on this, man. This is a lot of fun. Oh man. So much fun. Just brought back like all the memories and even this is what's crazy. You can think about stuff and it'll just like take you back. Right. Like I can feel warmer when I was thinking about being in like Terlingua or in California, like you just think about stuff and it could be so powerful. So yeah, I just deeply appreciate y'all y'all doing this and love what y'all are doing. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks man. Yeah. So thanks again, Robert. We really appreciate you coming on and Hope you guys enjoyed it, took some value from this episode, and we'll see you on the next one.